This is the Sergio Rodriguez Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. Today, a really interesting show. Because one of the things that I realized about a year and a half ago when I did a similar type show is that as much as my audience loves the weekly uh, multiple shows that involve everyday sports, right? Whether it's the NFL, Major League Baseball, college stuff. One of the things that I realized was that about a year and a half ago, I did a show with a couple of college softball coaches, Angie Churchill from Seton Hall. We had Jenny Allard, who at the time was at Harvard and is now at Pitt. We had Bridget Baxter from Villanova. Looking at our internal numbers, it was the second most heard podcast that I had done. And so I said to myself, I have to do this more often. We've been so busy with sports across the globe that it has been tough to actually start the process of actually putting these podcasts together. Not to mention that the coaches are busy as hell too, right? And you have to, you know, you have to put them together uh, at the same t- in the same timeline to get this done. But today we're doing it again because we're going to bring in two coaches, Alyssa Tiumalu. And I hope that I pronounce her name right, because I'm going to actually ask her, but I I believe it's Tiumalu from Iona, one of the coolest people in the business that you can meet. And she, okay, was also someone that was at St. John's, and everybody knows my, my love for that program. And that university. And then we're also going to have on Chris Foy, one of the guys who I have probably the longest relationship of anyone who's coaching right now because we were both young guys in the business when we started. And obviously, Chris is the head coach at Fairleigh Dickinson in Teaneck, and he's done a phenomenal job, not only there, but he's had a lot of different spots. And we're going to address not only these coaches' careers. But we're going to speak about the recruiting process. We're going to speak about the landscape of mid-major Division I athletics and how softball is looking at rule changes and where their individual programs stand. And joining me right now, the head softball coach of the Iona Gales, Alyssa Tiumalu. Is that correct? That's correct. You said it pretty good, Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you worry. Good. I worry sometimes when I when I pronounce some of these last names because a lot of you guys are such nice individuals that you guys allow us to call you something, even though your last name might be pronounced one way. You guys never get, you know, you guys never get too personal with that, and so you guys just allow it. So I wanted to make sure that I got it right. Oh, yeah, you did it very well. You pronounced it just how it's spelled, Tiumalu. That's the way it is. So thanks for uh, doing it right. (laughs) And and I appreciate you taking time out to do this. I I mentioned in my opening that, you know, it's hard sometimes to do these shows, even though I've wanted to do more, right? Because I did one where I had 
Angie and, and Jenny Allard on and, mm-hmm. and, and, but it's hard because I have to get you got your, your schedule's crazy. The timeline yep. to get you guys combined. Cause I have Christopher Foy, Chris Foy from after you coming on a bit later after you. And so, you know, you got to put everything together. And so it, it, it it's, I appreciate you going back and forth and, and, and making this work. Of course. So, you know, when you kind of came up to me, we started talking this summer and kind of, you know, gave the opportunity. I was like, absolutely. Let's do this. Let's talk. Let's get, you know, information out there and all that stuff. So I appreciate you lending the opportunity and we can kind of have this moment to kind of talk about the things that matter for, you know, softball at the collegiate level, the travel level, all the things, you know, so I'm very excited to be here, talk to you and kind of, you know, have the discussion. Before we get to Iona and the current state of your program and 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 where softball is at a national level and for you guys as a mid-major program, take me back to California. You're a Cali native, and take me back to that youth experience. What year did you graduate from high school? Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Elk Grove, California, in Northern Cal. We're about I'm about 20, 30 minutes away from Sacramento to get some relativity. Um, and I graduated high school 2010. So, um, you know, back in the day, at least for me, I'm not, you know, too old, but um, it was kind of like you were on the main travel team, right, of the area. So there was about two, and I played for both. Um, and that's kind of what helped me get into the right showcases and get to the collegiate level at UCLA. When, when you say play for the right programs, explain to some people that really need to understand what the benefit is to actually, and particularly the parents, right, who mm-hmm. spend all this money to do this. But there is some type of an advantage, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, um, good. So, you go can ahead. expand on that. No, good. You can expand on it. Yeah. So with that, I mean, I think you get what you pay for, at least I hope so. Right. Um, but to kind of explain that it used to be, you know, there was the, you know, 12 U level, 14 U level, 16, 18, and then there was 18 U gold. Right. So that 18 gold team was kind of like the team with, the players who had the ability to go to top division one programs. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I was able to play for the better two of the area. I was on a great bets and sorcerer. And so go, playing on those teams, what it did is they got into the top travel tournaments of the time. And we were on the fields that most collegiate schools came to. So it was kind of about, it's kind of like about branding your talent, right? So if you have the travel coach or the program that's going to do that and showcase you, it is worth it because unfortunately, you know, on the other side of things now for me as a recruiter, you know, I would love to go to every field that I could, but I just can't. So as a coach, I think some strategies that we have is that we will go to the fields that we know is kind of the main complex. So that is where I think being on the right travel team, having the right travel coach who has connections to us collegiate coaches, I think that universally helps with your branding along with the individual work that players and parents can do for themselves. So we know you always, you you ultimately ended up being or are going to UCLA. While you were going through the recruiting process, was there anybody else that could have got you? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, there were there were definitely other schools, and I think it's always important that you know, as a you know young young lady getting recruited, the ball is in your court. So you want to make sure that you have options. You're going to schools, you're visiting, you're seeing the coaching staff, the the scenery of the school, the class sizes, all those things. And at the end of the day, it's your decision, not anyone else's. So um, I definitely was recruited by um, other other programs and I'm very fortunate that I, I had that and ultimately I picked where I thought was going to be best for me. It's funny because when I look at the landscape of college softball, getting recruited out West is actually so much harder than getting recruited in the East because it yeah. seems, it seems to me and you've been on both sides, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that because of the level of play, the, well, the, the minimal the minimal amount of schools, right? There's not as many mm-hmm. mid major Division One programs or even elite level Division Three programs out in the West Coast as we have in yeah. the East Coast. So sometimes, if you can't play at a UCLA, at a Stanford, at an Arizona, a lot of a lot of the kids there have to go play JUCO. Correct? There is a little bit of that, you know. I think you know to kind of talk about it the. There's so many schools out West, and I think that the problem is with kind of the West Coast is that they don't realize that there's also other opportunities elsewhere. So it's kind of that mindset, too, of like D1 or bust, and it doesn't need to be that way. There is a place for everyone. If you want to stay local and home, then know that getting on some of those, you know, California teams, Oregon, all those, you know, Division One programs, it's very tough because the spots are limited. Um, and if you're willing to go to other locations, I'm sure there are tons of places, uh, around the country that are willing to take a kid from California just due to the exposure of how much they play. Right. Um, and so I think there are some situations where some of those type of players, like they want to go D1, it doesn't work out. And then they're kind of, like you said, finding a way of what can they do to stay more local towards home. Um, and to kind of go back to your point about the East Coast is that you're right. There is more ability to go to way, way more mid-major uh, programs to where you're still playing Division One and have that opportunity to play. So it's a matter of, I think, changing the mindset on both sides a little bit to where knowing you can do more on the East Coast to get more work done and be a better player and the West Coast kind of like giving themselves more opportunity to go somewhere else. The I always tell parents, or I always tell my kids, I should say, that the only people that care about position is parents. I always Mm -hmm. tell my kids, focus on getting at bats. Forget about position. Because Mm -hmm. I would tell you 80% of the kids that have played for me that have gone on to college have played another position that they played for me anyway. So what difference does the position make? You're a perfect example of that. And you're a perfect example of that. Because you went to college... And when you told me this, it warmed my heart. You started at <laughs> six different positions at UCLA? Yeah, you know, I, I always found my way wanting to be on the field. And I think uh, what attributed to that was that I was willing to play other positions. Um, you know, as a starting catcher for three years, I had a lot of injury, but that never stopped me from being on the field. It was always, I can play somewhere else, coach, you know, uh <laughs> I played first base. I'm not the tallest person. I played third base. I played right field. I was, you know, DH. I, I 
played a lot of places because I was willing to, and I was able to kind of be that universal puzzle piece, if you will. So, and I, I, I tell you this, I, I do that a lot in my coaching style as well to where the more you can do, the more chances you, you, you can be in that lineup. And I am definitely a believer of that just because I lived it. So it is important to be athletic, not just at your main position, but at other positions, because you never know when a coach might need you to, you know, be the one to play somewhere else or be the one to play your position or be, you know, be flexible. You know, one thing my coach always said is, uh, Kelly, I would say is good talent is flexible. And it's so true. And it's something that I tried to communicate to my players. Now, you know, you can do whatever if you set your mind to it. If you don't, then you won't. And it's going to be a tough spot um, for you to find a way on the field if you can't do something else. If your main spot is taken by someone else or they put in more work or whatever, but you being willing to play somewhere else says wonders to a coach and how they might give you more opportunity as well. How does a girl from the West Coast end up the head coach at Iona via St. John's University? How, what was the whole process of how you ended up on the East Coast? Oh, I know. It's quite a story, I'll tell you. So um, I'll give a kind of like a high-level long story short. Um, at the time when I was done, graduated from UCLA, um, I went into social work, actually, and I found out really quick that maybe social work wasn't for me, and that was just due to, I think, um, some of the people I was working with, with mentally ill, substance abuse, um, all that type of stuff. And what I noticed about that career was that it was all about maintenance of people to kind of stay level and to, you know, hopefully find a way to get better. But at the end of the day, it really was about maintenance of keeping kind of the status quo of like, hey, we don't want you in jail. We don't want you, you know, running in with the cops or put, you know, all that type of stuff. And I found myself missing being part of a team and, and being around like-minded people who wanted to improve and play the sport that I love and all those things. So I found myself going back to that. I um, volunteered at Southern Utah University um, at the time. And once I did that for a year and I was working as well, I was like, you know what, I, I need to, I need to be a coach. So um, I found myself applying anywhere and everywhere. And I am so fortunate that um, in my process, uh, Amy Tavilhog was the head coach at the time at St. John's and she called me and, and we had a phone conversation and I guess it went really well. Not to cut you off, but yeah, for those that are listening, Amy is now the head coach at Boston college. Yes. So she was, like I said, the head coach at St. John's at the time she gave me a call. Um, she had asked if I could come for an interview on campus and, you know, I had never been to the East, really the East Coast ever, and New York specifically, never in my life. Um, so I came for that interview, and I moved in two weeks. You know, I kind of put my head down, said this is what I wanted to do, and I haven't looked back. Um, so I spent about five years at St. John's. Uh, I worked under Amy uh, as the head coach, and then Bob Guerrero as uh, the second head coach at St. John's. And I, I, when I had interviewed with Amy, she goes, you know, is this something you want to do long-term and do you want to be a head coach? And I said, absolutely, I do. Um, and so for me, I had a goal of wanting to be a head coach by 30 years old. And, uh, you know, I fulfilled that goal of uh, becoming the head coach at Iona. And that's kind of my journey. And, you know, I love what I do. Um, I love my kids. I love the people that I'm around. And I love that I get to be, you know, 
on the field doing the game that I love every day. And Iona's got a great tradition of athletics because basketball has always been an under-the-radar solid program nationally. And they've always had mm-hmm. every head coach they've had has taken that team to 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 the big to the NCAA tournament. I mean, they recently had Rick Pitino, who again now is at St. John's. But Iona's mm-hmm. always been solid athletically. When you got there, what did you find was the best thing about Iona? And what did you feel was the hardest thing that you said to yourself? Yeah, this is going to be a challenge, or this is different than what I've been used to at a UCLA or at a St. John's. Sure. So um, that never bothered me, I'll be honest. I was always someone, like, I wanted to learn something different than UCLA. You know, I'm very fortunate of all the things that UCLA has. However, I wanted to learn something different, and I knew coming to the East Coast, it would be a, a whole new world, if you will, with, you know, in terms of facilities and the weather and the style of play and maybe, you know, common attitude behaviors of the region of, you know, how people are. It's, it's such a different day. And I am so grateful that I've been able to learn. Now with that coming to Iona, we are a smaller university, but I think that that is like the best thing because coming from UCLA, I was in class with 300 people. Um, <laughs> and now you come to Iona, you're in class with 30 people and you get that one-on-one attention. Um, and with that, too, I just loved how intimate Iona is in terms of how their campuses, we just got voted um, within the Wall Street Journal of having you know good feedback from our students of places that people want to go. And it's so true. You know, I felt connected to um, the people that I work with, uh, the players I was going to have. I just knew it was going to be an experience that we're all in this together. We all want to make this place great. We care about what we do. And it is kind of its own mini family. As cliche as that is, it truly is. So um, I've kind of learned that we are very resourceful here, but that was something that I was excited for because I'm a believer of there's a will, there is a way. So yes, I know what, you know, having the finer things are, you know, if you want to think about UCLA, but I also know what it means to make something work and to do the hard work and to make it happen. So that's something that I love. I love to have a challenge I love to fulfill that goal I love to rise above a challenge I just you know knew that I could give the things and teach the things that I got from UCLA and St. John's and apply it here to make this place even more special than it already is I asked this question to former to current coaches who were former players at national powerhouses is the mentality how or how is the mentality? Because when you're at UCLA, you guys went into every first day of practice understanding or knowing that you could win a national title. Mm-hmm. When you're at when you're in the Big East, when you're in the MAC, the mentality cannot be that. We we just understand that our sport, the landscape of our sport is not conducive to that. How mm-hmm. how do you handle that with a, your teams, and be yourself as a competitor. Yeah, it definitely was kind of like a, uh, a learning place for me. However, I don't feel like that I've compromised on that. Um, so how do I, how, what do I mean by that? 
yes, at UCLA, was I around, you know, champion mindset people? A hundred percent. Very elite in terms of everything that was done on and off the field. And that was a great experience. Now, knowing what that looks like, how that is and what you can do for it, I still bring that every day. Whether it be the national championship, going to super regionals, regionals, winning the MAC tournament, at the end of the day, I will say in our track record for Iona and things, we go out and compete. And that is something that I teach every day to my players of, it doesn't matter if we're just doing reps. How many are you getting in a row? Uh, how many did you do correctly? Uh, com- not to compare yourself, but compete with those around you because iron shapes iron. So that is something that we constantly practice of, you know, practice how you're going to play. Uh, let's play games. Let's get you in that competitive mindset. Let's, you know, have you put the work in to be able to perform when it matters. And talking about what a privilege it is to be the one to have the opportunity to knock in that hit, to put that bunt down, to make that last out. So that is kind of a language and culture thing that um, I've been very excited to grow. And I'm very proud of the work that we have done and, and, and making my girls think that they are, they, t- they, they are able and capable. Let's get to the topic that I believe a lot of the audience is going to be interested in, and it's recruiting. Mm-hmm. When Iona sets up its recruiting, well, first off, how many emails from recruits do you get a day? Well, I get quite a lot. I would say probably in, you know, the hundreds or so. Okay. Because I think that one of the complaints that I hear about a lot from from kids is that, Coach, I emailed so-and-so, but they haven't gotten back to me. How, yeah. what would you tell a kid? Because I always tell them, guys, be patient. They get 3,000 emails. Mm-hmm. But I we do have a format that we use on the heist when we're trying to get the coach's attention and stuff like that with the subject line, et cetera. But mm-hmm. our kids tend to be recognized because of my relationship with a lot of you guys. But mm-hmm. not every kid has the same opportunity to ha- to play for a program like that. So what would you tell a kid who plays in an average travel ball program about their patience? When is it too late? When is it too early? You know, walk walk me through that because I think that that is a huge information source for, you know, for someone who's listening to this. Absolutely. So, you know, with Division One, we have certain rules. So, you know, we can't communicate anything, you know, in terms of responding or anything until September 1 of the junior year. So, you know, for right now, those are our current juniors who are in the 25 class that we are able to respond back. And if we just think about that timeline, right, we get hundreds of emails a day. And it's such a rock and a hard place for us coaches because would we love to look at every email? Yes. Would we love to be caught up in our database and all that stuff? Absolutely. It's also a very challenging thing. So at the end of the day, unfortunately, you know, recruits have to kind of trust the process and keep Keep taking the initiative, keep sending your schedules, keep sending, you know, your videos and things like that. The more you do, the more we notice. And we do try to get back to as many players as we can that not only fit our needs, but also 
the, the players' needs, right? So it's a rock and a hard place for us because I want to see everyone that I can. I really do. But it's also very challenging just because we are getting hundreds of emails a day, trying to filter them, trying to sort them. And the competition is high no matter what level of Division One program it is. Um, everyone is trying to go for, you know, potentially five spots in a, in a, in a year at school. So it's, it, it's unfortunate. It's tough. I wish there was a better way for me to answer this question, but the reality is there's just so many that we try to get through, get to. And like you said, talking to a travel coach sometimes helps, helps us filter that process of, Hey, I trust your opinion. I want to see more about this player. Tell me more what she is. And if you feel like that's not enough, I think going to a school's camp is a great way to make sure that coaches get a name and a face. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we were, we happened to be together watching, <clears throat> watching a game the other day and you made a point about a kid impressing you backing up a play. It's funny because a lot mm -hmm. of kids, they get, they get frustrated if coaches are there and they go over three with two strikeouts. And I try to tell them all the time, no one's going to make a decision on one at bat. There's a lot of things that factor mm -hmm. in, right? And, 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 and that was a perfect example where we were there for what amounted to an hour. And the only comment you made to me was, I like the facts, the way she backed up that throw, <laughs> you know, and it's crazy. <laughs> you never know what anybody's going to like. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think it depends on the coach, right, um, and what they're looking for. I'll be honest with you. I, I might be a little different. There are some players I've liked, and they have struck out three times. <laughs> and I and it was because I was looking at how they might have taken a pitch, how they backed up, how they did the little things, how they took you know feedback from their coach, how they responded to not doing well. I actually look at that maybe a little bit more than I do the success because you know, this is a sport of failure. I know I'm going to see a lot more failure than I am the success. One for three means you failed twice. So um, I actually look at that a lot because I want to know how someone's going to rise above when things get hard. A hundred percent. I've always said as a coach that I could tell more from a kid's takes, right? Mm -hmm. Because I could see – I could see how they're reacting to the ball, right? Their patience, their rhythm, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I agree with you. You know, one of the things with recruiting that's got to be hard for you guys is the volume of teams that are out there. So not only yeah. are you getting an abundance of emails, but you're getting an abundance of emails from teams that pop up every day. How do you handle A, you know, all these teams that 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 are coming out at you and you're watching this stuff, but B, how do you also handle the teams that have franchises now, right? That are, so you're from the West Coast. We have East Coast teams with West Coast names. How do you put all that stuff into compartments? How do you handle all of that while you're trying to narrow down, you know, a recruiting base for every year? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I would love to say that there is, you know, a decisive plan on it, but sometimes there isn't. You know, we look at maybe, okay, we know that this is typically a successful program. Let's go uh, look at this team uh, and let's find out the specific last name of that team and who's the coach of it. And even then, there's so many teams that it's tough where if 
I don't know the travel coach, it's sometimes tough for me to go out there and I'm willing to make new relationships. You must, but it's also kind of hit or miss on that because is this coach going to play a kid knowing we're coming out or are they trying to play other kids and respectfully they should, they need to play every kid who needs to be seen. Um, but it is kind of a lot when we're learning the travel ball landscape and the girls are responsible for communicating what team, what age group, what field, you know, and that's where I go back to, you know, being on the right travel team, having the right travel coach only helps solidify your exposure um, because it is an extremely tough thing for us coaches to know which specific travel team of that travel program is the one that we need to see. Speak to me about Iona. Let's let's get into Iona right here. How many mm-hmm. scholarships do you guys have? Yeah, so, you know, I'll, I'll be straight up. We're not necessarily fully funded. The NCAA amount is 12. We're at about nine. So we're operating a little bit different. And that doesn't bother me one way at all um, because we're very fortunate uh, that the university, we have merit money is what we call it. And we're able to kind of utilize athletic money as we deem necessary. So um, it doesn't make me feel like we're at a ava- disadvantage. Um, if anything, it makes uh, things a little bit more um, about being resourceful and getting creative and finding a way. And those are things that, like I said, I love the challenge. So, you know, what can I do with less? But I, you know I, I kind of want to thrive on that. <laughs> no, I get it. But to that point, most schools are not fully funded, A. So it's not like you're yeah. any different than anybody else. But number two, you Iona, with their academic track record, you also recruit a different kind of student, right? Because that's the other thing, that there's, yeah. a, there's a different place for everybody. Because I've always told my kids, the money is in the academics. The hell with the softball. Soft, yes, the is. softball should be a tool, not the means. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, at the end of the day, grades are usually the first thing that coaches will look at. And that could depend on, like I kind of said, what college or university, what they can do with academic money. I'm very fortunate at Iona that they, they do that for the potential students. So, you know, we will read off GPA and the admissions will say, hey, we can award this much money. You know, so that's an amazing thing that that's kind of the first thing I look for. You know, what what can we do for the student and what can I do to kind of make the means of the program go longer? Right. So that is so important because the grades also show if you're responsible about making sure your stuff is good because you need that being a student athlete. Student is first. So if you can't have your grades done, you don't get to play. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, where you go to school as, you know, potential an athlete for someone is it's not just a four-year decision it's a 40-year decision you know you're always going to be identified from where you went and you're going to always remember your time at where you go to school and it's going to be a part of you so that's where I think knowing what you want what you want to do the people you want to be around, what fits for you and your family that is so much more important than just the softball the softball is just how we get you get our attention, but it's more than that. I have three things before we wrap up. A, the transfer portal. Has it changed a lot of your recruiting? I almost tell kids now, you never, now it's never late. You know, a lot of people now are like, well, 
I have. Fine, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is the teams, are, the rosters are changing. People that are telling me in, let's say, September, hey, Sergio, this fall, we're not going to recruit any pitchers, any catchers. Those, those same coaches in January are telling me, hey, Sergio, my two pitchers are not coming back. It, it, it's so crazy now. How has the transfer portal affected how you recruit? It does a lot. You know, I have this love-hate relationship with it. I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't dabbled in the transfer portal. I've been fortunate to get some. But at the end of the day, you know, it is not – I don't think it's the way that we should be recruiting. I think it's just another tool that we have on the coaches' side of things. And the players, too, you know, maybe they thought something was going to be the way that they were introduced to it, and it just wasn't. There, There is that. There's also – this concept of, you know, I didn't play, so I won't ever play when it's, it's not like that from the coaching side too. Maybe someone was better. Maybe you need to kind of put more work in to get that opportunity. You know, it's always kind of this sounds like sometimes a jump ship thing, but you know, have I been able to get some players who deserve to have that chance and be somewhere where they want to, you know, play and grow as a person? A hundred percent. And I'm so glad that I was able to, you know, have them part of our program. They're phenomenal people. So I can't sit here and say that I don't like it. It just depends on the situation. But that's also a whole nother, you know, (laughs) sense of, you know, chaos with our recruiting. You know, it's another thing added on to just the regular problems with high school students, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And because it's harder too, because not only as a high school senior you're competing with the other high school seniors, but now you're competing with a trickle down effect, right? So it, it becomes yeah. it becomes harder. Speak to me about the state of your program, your current program, and 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 where they where you think you're at in the MAC conference. Yeah, no, I, I'm super excited. You know, um, we've had a pretty good run a couple times in the MAC tournament so far with. Uh, you know, in my tenure as head coach. So um, we competed every time. We were the sixth seed twice. We, you know, scrapped it out, placed third, and knocked some teams out. Um, and I, I think that that's something that we have on the team when we want to play and do some damage, we will. It's a matter of us, you know, deciding when it is. And, you know, we have great competition within the MAC. It is always, you know, a dogfight in a sense with, you know, Maris, Canisius, Fairfield, Siena, um, St. Peter's is, is, is becoming a really good program. The Mount just entered. They're super competitive. So um, very excited. And I'm interested to see what is going to happen. It seems to always get a little dramatic at the end. So um, I see Maris and Canisius being top teams for us in the MAC and the Mount too. Um, so those are, that's kind of where I see who is going to be our greatest competition. And at the end of the day, I'm very excited for that. Uh, to me, it's, I don't care where we are as long as we, we play when it matters, which is at the end. Any camps coming up at Iona? Anything going on that you want anybody to attend? What is... Yeah, absolutely. So we have a camp coming up, um, I want to say 11-10. So if anyone has nothing to do uh, near the Veterans Day weekend, we'd love to have you come out for um, you know a camp with uh, the coaching staff and a couple of our gales to kind of help get your skills improved on softball. And that's kind of a 
our main thing right now going on. Um, and then obviously basketball starting. So we're super excited for uh, Coach Anderson um, and, the, and the New Gales this year to see where we're going to we're going to be in the back and um, very, very excited uh, also for women's basketball. And as well, we had the two FSU coaches. So excited to see where Iona basketball is going and, and kind of how um, we go from there. Alyssa, you're the best. I appreciate you. you get, I asked you for 20 minutes and you gave me 30. <laughs> of course. No, thank you for having me. I love talking to you and getting to know you this summer and kind of building our relationship. And, and it's been, you know, such a pleasure to get to know you more. And, and, you know, thanks for giving me the opportunity. That was Alyssa Tiumalu, the head coach of the <laughs> Iona Gales. Thank you. Thank you. What a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation we just had right with uh with Alyssa Tiumalu and and look that Mac softball is very very competitive very competitive good quality softball and I'm glad for her because you know she's one of these young coaches that is invested in what she's doing not just one of these coaches that's doing it for a paycheck and I appreciate that and, you know, bringing the next person I'm going to bring onto the show has been doing this definitely not for the paycheck because I'll tell you what, me and this guy were coaching together when we were in our early 20s. And there definitely was no money to be made back then. And if you're any type of Division One coach or coach at any level, in any college level, you know that. Being a non-revenue sport, you're not exactly filling your pockets. In fact, this guy's still a fireman. A fireman, right? One of our one of our most quality human beings on the planet. Firemen, cops, teachers, right? And this guy is a fireman. He's the head softball coach at Fairleigh Dickinson University in Teaneck, the FDU Knights. Mr. Christopher Foy. How are you, Chris? Good, Sergio. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You like that intro? That's very good. <laughs> Thanks for I, the accolade. I, I, listen, you know my my longtime friend, Anthony Lorezzo, was a fireman, so you know how I feel about you guys. You guys put your life on the line. I always respect that. No, I, I, I like that. I mean, you know, it's a passion of mine. Softball is obviously another passion, but, you know, I've been doing the firefighting things for 20 years now and you know I'm lucky enough to do it in South Orange a town I grew up in and went to Seton Hall University for college and I'm lucky to work for a great chief and a great bunch of guys and you know that that obviously helps especially in the tough times you know it's funny think about that you're a division one coach coach of the year in your league right so you're at the top of your profession in 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 our game could you imagine Rick Pitino <laughs> having another job, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just to show the difference between football, basketball, right? Those revenue sports and, and the non-revenue sports. Think about the difference of, of, of how that functions. Yeah, no, and, and there's not a lot of D1 coaches, I think, that have another job. And I'm, I'm thankful to Brad Hurlbut, our AD, that allows me and gives me the opportunity to still do the other job that I do and, you know, do the things that I try to do for our team and for the program and for the school at FDU as well. So, uh, 
you know, it's definitely a rat race. I'm not going to lie. I'm, you know, running from one place to the other, but you know, both are my passions. I love doing both. And you know what they always say, right? It doesn't seem like work when you love what you do. So I'm thankful and, you know, for the opportunities that I do have at both places. When, when people speak to me about coaching softball, I always tell them the same thing that I never wanted to coach softball. Who the hell wants to coach softball? No one ever says I want to coach softball, right? Like I wanted to be a basketball coach. I wanted to be a college division one men's basketball coach fell in love with softball through relationships and became a softball coach at 21. When I started coaching, I remember we met each other. You were coaching, uh, travel organization in Bergen County. What was the name of that organization? Yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. New Jersey force. The force. Correct. You were the force. And I was running the 16s on the pride at the time. And we were, you know, we would see each other all the time. And you know, it was, it was like that, that we started our, our relationship that has basically gone on for damn near close to 30 years. Take me to that early part of your career. Is this something that you were always striving for or is this something that came about just because you kept on going to different stages and uh, coaching better players? You know, you, you, you actually coached with the heist, you know, you coached with, with, with us for a while before you went on to, you know, coach in college. Is it something that you aspire to do or is it something that happened by mistake? Well, like you, I always knew I wanted to coach. I went to Seton Hall for education, so I planned on being a teacher. Um, So I just figured going along with that and loving kids and teaching kids and, you know, how it was even now, but especially back then, most teachers were coaches, you know, whether it was in the school that they taught at or somewhere else. So I love basketball. Um, I was more of like a baseball guy as far as coaching, but I did a little bit both on the high school level. and. The softball thing, I kind of just fell into. I was helping coach basketball at St. Elizabeth's Academy, which is on the campus of the College of St. Elizabeth. And I knew somebody that was a security guard up there who was best friends with the AD for the college and said they needed a softball coach. And I was like, well, I've never coached softball before. And they're like, oh, well, just apply. And you never know. And I ended up getting a job, which at the time made me think they just needed somebody to do it because I didn't have any experience in softball. But like you, I just fell in love with the game. I mean, it, somewhat similarities, obviously, with baseball, but, you know, just a faster pace. And, you know, there's some things that are different. And I just fell in love with it. And it was a great opportunity for me at a, you know, young age like you to get into softball, especially at a college level. And, you know, ever since then, I just wanted to move up the ladder. I knew that was my love and this is what I wanted to do. And if I could do that along with the fireman thing that I started a couple of years after that, um, you know, and now it's just brought me to this point in my time, I mean, I just turned 50 and been doing it for, you know, probably 20 some odd years. And, you know, I still love it every year and recruiting. And like you said, learning from other people and, you know, you're my mentor along with a bunch of other people. And it's a great game. And obviously you see now with the notoriety that it has, I mean, it's on ESPN, it's, you know, on all the cable channels and the SEC network and, you know, the world series has gotten unbelievable ratings. So we obviously fell into a great sport that's grown over the years. So I can't say enough about it. I love it. You know, one of the things that I asked Alyssa about was the 
state of the recruiting in reference to the amount of emails and the amount of communication that goes on now between the athletes in college and your co- yourself and your coaching staff. She said that she gets a, a just an, an absurd number of emails a week. For you, I'm sure you're getting the same amount of emails. How do you guys go about separating them, right? So that you know exactly who to go see, who basically you almost have to pass on, understanding that you might miss out an opportunity on a good softball player, but you really just don't have the resources nor the manpower to go to see all these games. How do you guys, how would you guys break everything down? How, what's the, 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 the role that you guys take to make sure that you guys get to what you can get to? Yeah. I mean, when I look through emails, I mean, a lot of them are the same, you know, just saying they're interested in our program and, you know, send us, they send us their schedules for, you know, their tournaments in the fall and all summer. But one of the things I look for is if somebody puts something in there specifically about our program or about our school, that way I know, not that others aren't genuinely interested, but, but they did their research. Me, they, they, yeah, right. They did their homework. They, they did their research and they might mention a specific program and know what those rankings are. And this is why I'm interested in a school because you have a great academic program. And I see, you know, you've done great things with the softball program and you built that program and that's something I want to be part of. And so, you know, the genuine email and it's hard and I'm sure Alyssa said the same thing. I mean, it's, you know, it could take you full days to read through the emails, especially when it becomes the fall and the summer, maybe not so much in the winter and the spring, but you know, it's hard, but I, I look for those specific things, something that's more genuine, something that's specific to our softball program or our school. And then, you know, it, it helps, you know, myself having a relationship with you and the heist organization that you coach and you rely on the relationships that you build and you learn as a college coach who you can trust, you know, when you're out recruiting and when you meet people and, you know, that they're not just trying to sell you a student athlete, but, you know, they're looking for the best fit for their player. And maybe that player happens to be a good fit for our program as well, based on what we're looking for, as well as what they're looking for academically and athletically. When you use social media, Twitter, Instagram, do you go through the videos when these kids tag you? Or do you understand that you, again, can't get to everything, but is there something specific that they can do to get your attention. Cause that's why I do these podcasts, right? Because I want to educate parents that'll listen players that'll listen as to how they can go about getting recruited and maximize the opportunity. Because let's be honest, not everybody can play for an organization that has the type of relationships. Let's say that I might have, or, uh, Coach Stern has with the pride right up north and then and you have other top organizations, you know, locally, whether it's Rick Way with the Rock, right? You, we, we understand that there is a certain group of us, 7, 10, 12 guys in the, it, that know you guys and we're able to pick up a phone and say, hey, Chris, I have XY player. I believe she can play at your level. What are you looking for? Blah, 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 blah. But that kid that doesn't have that, in social media, what can they do? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, during COVID, it seemed like Twitter and Instagram was the best thing for these kids because, you know, at that time, obviously, we couldn't go out and see them play and we couldn't recruit because a lot of things were shut down, at least for us. Um, so that that was a great tool for them. And, you know, a lot of them have kept up with it. And, you know, I tell people when I go to camps and clinics, like tag us, put stuff on there, even if it doesn't come across to us, you know, that's just a good tool now for coaches. Um, I, I've always liked the, the skills and drills if they can post that. I mean, it's great that they put some game film on there, but honestly, the way that some of these cameras are set up, the GoPros and everything, it's really hard to see, you know, exactly what they're doing with their swing. And if you're looking for an outfielder or something, I mean, you're just not going to be able to see it on video. But, you know, if they can take a video of when they're doing a workout with you or, you know, if they're at a camp or clinic, I try to tell them, even if it's not us, you know, once you narrow down your schools, you know, top 10 of where you want to be. If those schools run a camp or clinic, you need to go out and get in front of those coaches because we want to see you in person as well as video. And, you know, the in-person thing sometimes is obviously the next step. If the first step for them is seeing a video from them, you know, if I like what I see, then I want to go out and see them play in person. Um, so, you know, getting, going to camp skills and drills, you know, things like that, I think is better for them. The more they can get themselves out there and in front of coaches, it's only going to help them, but at the same time, it helps us because we can see them in person and, you know, going on campus visits and stuff is, you know, just next level stuff. But initially, yeah, I mean, we want to see as much of them as we can. And, you know, I love it when they tag me and I try and watch as much as I can. You know, I try and set aside, you know, times during the day, you know, especially probably the evenings when practice is over and, you know, games are over and the whole day is gone that, uh, you know, I'll try and sit down and go through some of that stuff. There's a lot of talk that recruiting in the fall could be affected starting next year or the year after based on the fact that the Power 5 schools want there to be almost a dead period during the fall. A, what would what's the reasoning behind that? But B, what will be the alternative for an East Coast? See, because here's the problem. Our sport really has, the Mississippi really divides a lot of the, I think it's different recruiting that's going on east of the Mississippi and west of the Mississippi. If you're east of the Mississippi and this were to happen, where the Division I schools cannot recruit off campus, how is that going to change the landscape of how we market our players to you guys? Because let's be honest, Sending them to a gym to work out with you is great, but at the end of the day, I know you want to see them. Are you guys going to go back to seeing doing more video stuff? That break that down for me. Yeah, I mean th that's kind of there's been talk. I mean, I'm on a head coaches committee, a D1 head coaches committee. I represent our conference, and you know we've talked about it, and you know it's definitely kind of come from the Power Fives. Um, you know, part of it is in the fall, you know, we're just getting back to school. And, you know, if you have a large freshman class, you want to spend time with your team and, you know, introduce the freshman class to the things you're doing. So it's important right away to get into that in the fall. Plus, we're playing some games. And so I think that was probably the biggest thing that the coaches were talking about is we need to spend time with our teams. Um, I think, like you're saying, weather might play a part east of the Mississippi. But for somebody like me, I would rather than not legislate that. I'd rather almost give everybody a choice because 
I recruit different and have different needs than some of these power five programs. And, you know, going back to like what you said, I have one full-time coach. I'm lucky enough to have two part-time, not even part-time, more like volunteers that help me. But, you know, for the power fives, you know, they have fourth assistants now. So, you know, to me, why can't you as a head coach, you know, stay back with your team, maybe with one of your other assistants and send your other two assistants out to see who you need to see or see recruit or vice versa, leave your assistants back to run a program. And, you know, if you feel you need to be there in person to see somebody, then you go out. And, and I know, you know, a lot of people, especially young coaches are starting families. So, you know, that's a big thing. They don't want to take time away from their families, but I would rather, you know, the NFCA or NCAA or whoever comes up with it, just kind of leave it as a choice. If you want to go you or feel the need to go, then you go. And if you don't want to go or can't go for some reason, then you don't. I just feel like that hurts programs that need the fall to go out and recruit. Obviously, everybody's out there in the summer. We can go out as much as we want every weekend. The fall, we're a little limited. I mean, for me, I really go only go out of state one weekend. Other than that, I'm doing more, you know, tri-state area type of tournaments just to see more local kids just because, you know, either cost or time, I just can't really get out of state. And, you know, I want to spend time with my team too on weekends and, you know, when the hours that we can. But um, I think what's going to come from that is that more colleges are just going to start running more camps and clinics in the fall. I know a lot of them do it now. Most of them do a lot of winter clinics, but I think what they're going to do is say, okay, we're not going to come to you now. You're going to, you know, come to us. So you're going to need to come to us. So that's going to make it tough one for travel coaches, because what are you going to tell your kids when they want to travel to a camp on a fall weekend, wherever they want to go see the school, are you going to have enough kids to play? And then the other thing is it's going to be tough choices for these kids. Not only do I go to a camp or do, you know, I play with my fall travel ball team, but what if multiple schools are running camps in the same weekend and one of the recruits is interested in three or four different schools that are all running camps on that weekend? Now they have to choose where they're going to go. And if they don't show up to a camp, does that mean a coach is going to cross them off their list? I mean, it's just, it's going to, I guess, kind of be a domino effect. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but that's kind of where I see it going. And yeah, I mean, obviously times change a little bit, but, you know, the recruits to me have had it so hard the past couple of years because they had the whole thing with COVID and now they have the transfer portal and That's now big. coaches yeah. aren't going to go out to see. I mean, for them, it's almost been like one thing after another and they're obviously doing the best job that they can to adjust to these different things. But man, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I think especially the transfer portal, you know, a lot of these bigger schools are, looking in a transfer portal, I think, to fill a need and they'd rather maybe have somebody with a little college experience because, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you don't exactly know where you're going to get from a freshman, no matter what they're ranked or how good a player they are, you know, you don't know exactly how they're going to fit in. So sometimes you may look for somebody from another school that has already had that college experience, whether it be for a year or two or maybe even three. So that kind of leaves the high school, the regular high school recruit kind of you know, out in the desert a little bit, you know, they don't really know what to do. And you've kind of seen it. I've even seen it this year. Like I've never seen so many kids that are seniors that are uncommitted, but still top level or high level kids, maybe just because those colleges have filled their roster needs through the transfer portal instead of, you know, through a high school recruit. Before I ask my next question, 
I need to ask you this. How many scholarships do you have at Fairleigh Dickinson? Uh, I probably have half of what the full allotment would be. So for softball, it's around 12. I probably have around six. Okay. But, okay. No, go ahead. No, No, I was just going to say, so for me, uh, you know, not that any school is really different, but I go after the high academic kid is, you know, one of my priorities, obviously, besides their athletic skill, but I go after that because in my school, I'm allowed to stack. And, that, and that's what I, they, and, that, and that's going to lead me to my question. So let me, let me ask my question so that you can break it down. Right. If sure. my daughter was a softball player capable of playing at Fairleigh Dickinson, obviously she's a high level division one athlete. Okay. What would be fair? The cost at FDU with room and board, everything included, it's got to be around sixty, sixty-five thousand. Correct? Yeah, a little less. It's about fifty-five this year. Okay, fifty-five. Now, I would say across the board, that's the price. Whether you're there, Fairfield, Sacred Heart, those schools are seventy thousand. Either way, you're looking at between fifty-five and seventy. Give me an example of what an average um, scholarship package with the academics and everything looks for for a reg, for a student who's going to play for you. Now, I get it. That's why I said average. Certain kids, pitcher, whatever, they're going to get more academic money, more athletic money. I get all that. The reason I ask you this and before you answer, the reason I ask you is because dads, parents are under the football basketball mentality. And all you hear is full ride this and blah blah. blah. Explain to these people what an average scholarship looks like for a student, for a Division One athlete, softball player. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, if you want to go percentage-wise, I mean, they probably get, I guess, you know, maybe 70%, or maybe that breaks it down to, if you want to look out of pocket, probably like fifteen dollars to $20,000. You know, maybe a little more, depending. I mean, we're... But Lucky that mean, enough at FDU, yeah. That, but that means that means you're only getting about ten to fifteen thousand for softball, right? If you're a high level academic, probably right. I Correct. mean, I would say our high academic kids, you know, high high, you know, highest you would get three point eight to four zero would probably get somewhere like eighteen to twenty thousand dollars, maybe. I mean, and it can vary. I don't know those exact numbers. I'm just going based off Correct. of what my past players have had. So, you know, you get eighteen to 20000 as a high academic. You know, I can give you maybe like ten to fifteen. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to for me because I'm not a fully funded program. Correct. Is yeah. I need to try and maximize the most money that I can on my end to make it affordable for you. But on the same end, like I said, make it affordable for you. And I know, you know, when it comes to decisions, I mean, look, the biggest decision that it seems like these kids and probably more their parents are making is what's affordable and what can they afford? Um, you know, financial aid. So we can give academic money, we can give athletic money and they can get financial aid. Financial aid is a tough thing. It seems like a lot of people just don't get financial aid. That's kind of just an added bonus. If they get financial aid, that's great, but we kind of don't expect anybody. So when I'm working on numbers or trying to figure out a package, I'm solely just working with the academic and the athletic piece. But yeah, like you said, I mean, it's not, football it's not basketball it's not not everybody's getting a full ride and 
if they are getting a full ride, even at sometimes the bigger schools, it's a little bit of everything. It's not just specifically athletic. And let's be honest, those schools like Texas, Arizona, they have a huge advantage because their state tuition is so much cheaper than our state tuition that what ends up happening is if you're a, if you're in Texas, and this is something that I think a lot of people should understand as to why those programs are so good nationally. If you're a resident in Texas, probably costs you about ten to $12,000 to go to the University of Texas. So if you're a fully funded softball program and you have 13 full scholarships or 12 full scholarships, and now you get the four best players out of Texas, you just got those four players. If you went out and got the seven best players, you just got that those seven basically for one scholarship. So now you can go right. out with the next 11 scholarships and go get the best player in Michigan. Go get the best player in Oklahoma. And that's how you build the roster. We can't do that in New Jersey, correct? Right, right. Yeah, no matter if you're a state school or a private school, yeah, that's probably, you know, and state schools aren't the bargain they used to be no, back when, you know, we were in college and looking at colleges, it was, in the teens, but you know, now it's upwards of, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars probably at the minimum, maybe more, depending. Speak to me about your conference this year and what the outlook is for your team moving forward. Are you excited about this group? I mean you had a phenomenal year last year. Big jump in the in 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 that program's uh development since the day that you took over. You were the coach of the year in the conference. And what's it look like moving into the 24 season? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think we're going to have probably the best team that we've had. Um, you know, we, we have a good mix. I mean, we probably have like nine or ten freshmen, um, you know, a couple sophomores, a couple juniors, and a couple seniors. So we're balanced pretty well, I think. I mean, that's obviously important having people that have been there you know, learning what we're teaching and have gone through the battles with us. So you want that, you know, upperclassmen leadership. And I, I think we have some really good players that have fit in well already just in the fall that have come in. And, you know, we're at a little smaller roster than we've had the past couple of years. You know, we're at like 22 now. Um, you know, we had upwards of like 25, 26. So that helps. Um, you know, so I think we're going to do really well. We, we've done well the past couple of years and we've kind of turned the corner a little bit and, you know, had a couple bumps in the road, but um, overall, and our conference is kind of going through a transition. So, you know, a year or two ago, we lost Brian and Mount St. Mary's. And now just recently, you know, people might have seen that Sacred Heart and Mary Mac are leaving at the end of this school year. So, you know, we've gotten teams like Stonehill, who's been a transition from a D2 to a D1. We just added Lemoyne now. So we still have like the LIUs and the St. Francis and the Wagner. So we still have some schools that have been around for a long time and now we're adding schools, but you're seeing that around the whole country, the, you know, differences in conferences and who's moving where and why. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, it probably comes down to money more than anything, especially at least in the power five. And, but, with, and with basketball, um, basketball and football. <laughs> Right, right. And then, you know, the whole, you know, name, image, and likeness thing going on now, too. I mean, that's, you know, a whole different ball game. But, um, you know, like going back to our team, I mean, you know, I like where our team's been. I mean, we finished, you know, top four, top five the past couple of years. And, 
you know, been a couple innings and a couple outs from, you know, making championships and doing that type of stuff. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I really like our team. And you know how it is. You've been coaching long enough. And, you know, you see it in sports all the time, even at the major league level. It's not always the best team that you're going to put out on the field. It's, you know, how the team gets along and how the team meshes and how they support each other and, I really feel like this is probably the best cohesive unit as far as that's concerned that I've had in probably my time at FDU. So um, that's probably the most important thing. And then obviously we're doing, you know, the softball thing and the athletic thing. But, um, you know, this team's really come together and our leadership has really stepped up. And, you know, so far so good. Any camps coming up? Where can, they, uh, where can the high school kids find Fairleigh Dickinson in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, everything's on our website. If they go on our website, I mean, our emails are on there. Um, they'll probably be releasing our schedule within the next month. I just finalized that this past week. Uh, we'll probably do a winter camp. Usually I try and do it at the end of January. Um, you know, our kids have a couple weeks off for winter break after exams, and I kind of like to do that when they get back just because I think it's important that my players be there, not just necessarily to help out, but to meet the girls, be able to answer questions, You know, a lot of girls that come to camps and clinics from the high school level have questions. And, you know, sometimes they ask me things that they'd be better off talking to our student athletes about because they're the ones that are living it. You know, time management and how do you play a sport and go to class and how is the travel and things like that. So we usually do something kind of more to mid to end of January, you know, right before our season starts. So I'm still putting that in the works to exactly, you know, when that's going to be. But that'll all be on our website and all on our social media. We have an Instagram, we have a Twitter, we have a Facebook. So besides our website, our athletic website, it'll all be all over our social, our social media. Chris, I appreciate you, man. You've been, like I, like I mentioned at the start, we've been friends going on 30 years now. And, and I, can't, I can't tell you how valuable you are to my organization because I can go to you at any time and you answer your phone with anything that's changing, rule changes. You give me sometimes some insight on things that are going to come down the road. And when you're trying to get, you know, the volume of kids that we have on the highs recruited to the best situation for them, you know, I feel like you're just uh, a, a fountain of information for me. So I appreciate you. And, uh, you know, I, I, I would run out of superlatives to if I had to sit here and say how, how, how great you are and how much I appreciate your friendship. No, I mean, I do as well, Serge. I mean, like you said, we've been friends for what seems like forever. And, you know, just as much as you come to me, I go to you because it's important for us as college coaches to kind of know what's going on in the travel ball realm as well. You know, as far as like tournaments and You know, I've seen you be involved in a lot of things, like you said, in New Jersey and getting together with all these travel coaches and, you know, putting together good products, not only good teams, but good tournaments that are advantageous for the kids to get recruited. But, you know, tournaments that we can come to to see the best kids and try and find a good fit. And that's what we always say when we go to camps and clinics, you know, myself as a college coach is, you know, everybody's chasing a dream, right? Everybody wants to go to a big school or D1. And, but there's so many great schools out there at every level. And I feel like there's, you know, a place for everybody. And that's important. And it doesn't have to be D1. I mean, look, at the end of the day, how many of these kids are really playing professional softball? 
They're not. And I think they understand that to some degree. But for us, it's, you know, we're doing what we need to do as a Division One program. But we want to bring in a high academic kid. But we want them to be successful. We put them, you know, in classes and in, in majors that they want to study. Um, for us, I mean, we have nursing majors. We have engineering majors. We have computer science majors. And a lot of schools um, don't want that or maybe won't allow that just because it's it's hard. It's hard for the kid. But I'm not going to be the type of person that's going to tell somebody they can't major in what they want to do with their life. And it's, you know, we luckily we have a ton of resources at FDU and we have a separate academic department for our student athletes. And, you know, it, it's hard. Time management is hard. And for our nursing students, I got to do clinicals and engineering are tough classes. But, you know, we try and get them through it the best that we can. We have a ton of resources. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want to help them do well in school and find a job when they graduate and look back and say, you know, I got a great degree. I got a great education. And being part of the softball team was, you know, part of my college experience that I'll look back forever. And you know how it is, right? I mean, you even said you've been going to weddings recently of kids you coached how long ago yeah. and how great does that make you feel that I'm just you're glad still they, part of their life? Yeah, I'm just glad know? they invite me. And by the right. way, <laughs> and by the way, you know, I'm a I'm an FDU Knight too, you know what I mean? So I, I, I want I want that program to excel. But definitely, Chris. Thank you for coming on and uh, much luck this year. Okay, I appreciate it. I'll see you around soon. Thanks, Sergio. That was Christopher Foy, the head coach of the FDU Knights. And you've been listening to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other.